I'm Jody Carroll. I'm the executive pastor here at Centerpoint. And I met Jesus when I was 18 years old after a youth event. Hi, I'm Dawn Gaylord. I'm one of the secretaries here at Centerpoint. I met Jesus 23 years ago after the tragic loss of our daughter Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Tommy Green. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Centerpoint. And I met Jesus when I was nine years old at the church that I grew up in. And I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint. And I met Jesus uh, when some folks from Campus Crusade for Christ explained to me uh, when I was a freshman in college, how I could have a personal relationship with him. And for that, I am forever grateful. Each time for each installment of this series, we want to welcome you here today on this fourth installment in our series entitled, How I Met Jesus. Uh, I hope you find it comfortable that our staff has met Jesus. That's good, okay? I take great comfort in that. Um, that's an important thing for us uh, here at Centerpoint. But uh, many of you, we could line you up and you could say the same thing. And sometimes it was a tragedy. Sometimes it was a circumstance. Sometimes it was a long-awaited answer to prayer. Your grandmother had been praying for you for 30 years. And finally, you met Jesus. Well, today, we're going to talk about how the shepherds met Jesus. And inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline where I'm going to be referring to a number of passages from Scripture, some Old Testament prophecies, as well as a big chunk of Scripture from Luke chapter 2. We're going to talk about how Jesus was born and how the shepherds met him. In the past weeks, we've talked how the wise men met Jesus, how Joseph and Mary heard about Jesus and that he was coming. And so today we want to talk about the angels and the shepherds. And I'm so glad you're here today. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks in the outline or take some notes, just raise your hand. One of the ushers coming up down the aisles, they'll be glad to pass one to you. Let me have a word of prayer for us and we'll jump right in. Father, I thank you that Christmas is now just a couple of days away. I thank you that uh, we can celebrate the birth of Jesus again, the 2012 version of Christmas. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless our time together today as we talk about how the angels appeared to the shepherds and the shepherds came to meet you. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak and that um, you'll use this hour to draw us closer to you. You'll move me out of the way and say whatever you want said to us to prepare our hearts for Christmas. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, point one on your outline is very simple and straightforward, how Jesus was born. Luke tells us this. Luke, by the way, did an amazing job. At the beginning of Luke, he says that he went and interviewed people and researched things so he could get the straight story. And all that's been recorded for us, and it's amazing because as we worship Jesus, we know a lot of details about his birth and what happened. And these are uh, fascinating. And it should be important for us. The reason I even have you fill in the word born there is the whole concept is that God became flesh, that he came to live among us, that Jesus was God in human form, and that he was born. The God who made us became one of us and grew up in a family and knew what it was like to go through teething and become a teenager and knew what it was like to be tempted and tested in every way, just like us. And that's an important part of the story, an important development. It's vital that we understand that so we understand the significance of Christmas itself. Well, when Jesus was born... Luke said, here's the way it happened. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. Uh, two big reasons why a king or an emperor would have taken a census. One is to find out how many people were of military, how many capable people there were that he could draft for military service. 
Uh, that wouldn't have applied to the Jews because they wouldn't have gone for that. But the second reason was to make sure you were taxing everybody as much as you possibly could to pay for all the troops that you were going to send into military service. And because the kings would go on these campaigns and try to broaden their territory and expand their power and their influence. And so a census was taken here, and it required people uh, to do quite a bit of moving around. Uh, and so Joseph would have had to go to his hometown, and, and that's the next sentence here, because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem, the town where David grew up in. And that was Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth, which is in northern Israel, in Galilee, and he took with him his wife, took with him Mary, his fiancée, who is now obviously pregnant. Uh, so Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth, 70, 70, 75 miles north of Bethlehem, and the census brought them there. Mary went along. She was expecting, obviously so, at the time when this decree went out. We don't have any idea how long it took or how exactly they got there. They might have traveled with some other people who were finding their way to Bethlehem. They might have traveled by themselves. Um, lots of nativity scenes have a little donkey there that she rode on, and she may have had that. She may have had to walk, and we don't know. But she accompanied Joseph as they went down to register for the census. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. There was no room for them in the inn. And sometimes we think in terms of Motel 6, that somebody was keeping the light on for Jesus or something like that. Um, the truth is, is that uh, an inn in those days would have been living quarters in a two-story building where there would have been some living quarters for folks on top, and downstairs would have been a stable. And so the animals would have been cared for down below, and they shut the doors at night, and the people would have been sleeping up above. Well, as all these people came in to register, everything was overflowing. There was no room for them, and so Either they would have stayed in this downstairs stable or they would have, at some places, it was a simple, uh, an inn would have been like a, a simple house type of structure with a lean-to next to it where the animals would have been a stable right beside it or in a cave if it was located next to the side of a hill. Either way, this would have been a very dark and dirty place. There wasn't room for them, to, for Jesus to be born in a, in a house or in any other kind of living situation and he had to go where the animal had to be born where the animals uh, were taken care of. Now, I want to make two observations as far as we've gotten in the story right now that are very important for us to understand. First of all, it's important to note that God can use anything to accomplish his purposes. Quirinius and Augustus could have cared less that Jesus was born. Augustus was just trying to raise taxes and raise troops. And that's why you carry out a census. But God used that command in order to get Jesus where he needed to be. In your outline, you'll see a reference to Micah 5.2. This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. And last week, when we talked about how the wise men, when they came to Jerusalem to find out where the king of the Jews was going to be born, they were told, based on this prophecy, we'll be born in Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary, the two people that God had chosen to raise Jesus in this world, lived in Nazareth, 70 miles north. And so this census, which would have been a hassle at the very least, a great discomfort to everyone involved, was used to bring them 70 miles to the south to, to get exactly where God wanted them to be and that prophecy to be fulfilled. 
Paul talks about these types of things happening in our lives in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If you underline the words, his purpose. God is working out his purposes in your life and in mine. And what he wants is he wants us to trust him. Proverbs 3 says that we're supposed to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and to not lean on our own understanding. We're supposed to acknowledge him in all our ways and then he'll make our path straight. He'll direct us on the right path. And so when you come to God, you surrender not only your sins to him, but you surrender your future, you surrender your will, and you say, God, I want you to drive. I want you to lead me in my life because I trust that your plans for my life are better than my plans for my life. And that's a big point of surrender. And when we discover that, that's when we can discover what an adventure and joy life can be when we discover all the things that God has for us. Some of you might be living here in Montgomery here because in the Montgomery area in Prattville because uh, the military brought you here. And years ago, you weren't sitting there going, Lord, I just hope, I just hope we can go to Prattville. I just hope we can go to Prattville, Alabama. Forget the station in Hawaii. I want to go to Prattville. I doubt that anybody's ever done that. But oftentimes I meet people who've been stationed here after they've been at a place where their kids were very happy or they had family and friends nearby and they got here and they will tell me six months after they've been here, they go, this was the best thing that could have ever happened to us as a family. God knew exactly what we needed. Maybe this past year in 2012, your company, the company you work for, was struggling financially and they had to eliminate some positions and one of those was yours. And maybe in 2013, God has a brand new job opportunity for you that is better than you could, put a, could have possibly imagined. And five years from now, you'll look back and go, Lord, I wasn't happy for it at the time, but I thank you that you arranged these circumstances because that was exactly what I needed. And so when we come to trials and problems in our lives, the Lord asks us to trust him. He knew exactly how to get Joseph and Mary where they needed to be when Joseph needed to be born. He knows how to get you where you need to be and where I need to be. If we're willing to cooperate with him and not fight against him, we'll experience great joy, and we can even go along and say, hey, this is a wonderful ride. But the question is, will we trust him? Joseph and Mary just did. In fact, when the angel told Mary she was going to have a baby and it would be placed inside of her by the Holy Spirit himself, she said, let it be to me, just as you have said. She took her hands off the wheel and said, Lord, you drive. And uh, it's a marvelous thing to see God working out his purposes. It's also significant when we say his purposes, because a lot of times his purposes are not mine. I go, Lord, you did not work out my purposes. I had this planned out pretty well, and they're all, my plans are all messed up. And if you and I will come to the Lord, he'll remind us very quickly, I know, John, but your plans stink. I've got great plans for you. And so he wants us to trust him. There's a second note for you in your outline. And from this story, we see Jesus being born in a manger, a dark and dirty place. Mary was probably just a young girl in her teens. Joseph was a carpenter, a construction worker. He wasn't a medical doctor or a PhD in child rearing. wasn't a Nobel laureate or anything like this, just an ordinary guy. And it should remind us from all these details of the story that Jesus is willing to go anywhere and sacrifice everything to rescue us, to save us. Jesus is willing to go anywhere, and he's willing to sacrifice everything to save us. The writer of Hebrews comments on this in Hebrews 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, speaking of Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. 
Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. Yesterday afternoon, I performed a a funeral for a 39-year-old woman who passed away. She has two children. Her family was in grief. What could I tell them at Christmas time? I could tell them not only, their mom was a believer, by the way, not only is she alive and well in heaven with Jesus and the angels celebrating Christmas there, and I can say that with all confidence, but I can also tell them that God is with them right now. And if there's anyone in this whole earth who understands the grief and the pain they're going through, it's Jesus himself. Jesus knows what it's like to die. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. Jesus knows what it's like to leave the throne room of heaven and come down to earth and have to be born in a barn because there's no room. He knows what it's like to go into dark and dirty places. There is no situation in which he cannot understand what you and I face. He grew up in this world. He understands our pains. He understands our troubles. He knows even what it's like to be tempted. He was tempted by the devil himself with temptations none of us would have been able to withstand. And so we can come to Jesus. And so as we prepared for that funeral yesterday, we could grab hands and we could remind ourselves that God is going to see us through. If there's anyone in this whole world that understands you, it's Jesus. Though he was God, Paul wrote in Philippians 2, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus even understands injustice. If you've been treated unfairly in this world, Jesus gets it. Jesus' friends betrayed him. They left him when he needed them the most. He was accused by the religious people who should have known better and probably did know better. People who spit on him and laughed at him. He understands. God knows what it's like to give his only begotten son and to surrender him to die for people who didn't love him anyway. So if there's anybody who understands heartache, if there's anybody who understands pain, it's Jesus. And as a life application for you and me in all of this, you and I can bring all of our problems to Jesus. I mean, there's no problem so big he can't solve. I mean, if he can get Joseph and Mary 70 miles south because of a Roman emperor's edict, what problem can he not solve in your case? He can move the entire empire. He can place a baby inside the womb of a virgin. He can conquer the grave. And so what problem could you and I possibly face that's too difficult for Jesus to handle? He also went through everything we went through, so what problem could we possibly face that he couldn't understand? Oh, you wouldn't understand. And we do that a lot of times with our spouses and with our kids, with fellow employees. We start doing a problem. We go, I don't even know why I'm telling you. You wouldn't understand. But you never have to do that with Jesus. He always understands. In fact, this is what Jesus said. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's no place I won't go that I'm afraid to go. I'll go 
to a stable. I'll be born in the dark, and my first crib will be a hay trough. What lengths are you willing to go? I'm willing to be accused of crimes I never even committed. I'm willing to die a criminal's death on a cross, even though I'm the most innocent man that ever lived. I love you. I'll give my life for you. Just come to me. I get you. I can help you. Don't carry heavy burdens. Come to me. And if there's anything I'd want to remind us of this Christmas, it would be that. That Jesus came into this world to rescue us. And he understands us more than you can possibly imagine, more than I will ever even comprehend. And so let's just come to him. And that's why John wrote, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He's not some God up in the sky who doesn't understand us. He became one of us. And so there's no one that he can't relate to. And that's how Jesus was born. Well, point two on your outline, this Luke continues the story, and he tells us how the shepherds met Jesus. Outside of Bethlehem, in the city, uh, where people would stay at night, they would close the gates for safety, well, they would graze their flocks on the hillsides and in the pastures. And so the people watching the flocks, the sheep herders, the shepherds, would stay out with the flocks at night. What's interesting is, is when Jesus was born in this stable in Bethlehem, that very night, angels from heaven were sent to let a group of shepherds outside the village of Bethlehem know what had happened. And Luke records that for us as well. But instead of me reading the next portion of scripture myself, I felt like it would be more impactful if you heard it from someone else. So could you watch the screens, please? Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Okay, now I'm ready for Christmas. <laughs> I mean, when Linus does that, I, I can't top that. That's, but it's, it's true. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the angels came to proclaim. Hey, this is good news for all mankind. Great joy for all people everywhere. And what's so significant is, is that, again, the angels didn't appear to the princes in the palaces. He didn't appear to the academics in their conservatories. He didn't appear to the religious elite. He appeared to some ordinary shepherds to tell them the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has come into the world, and you can go see him. And God wants us all to know his great love for us, 
and he demonstrated that he's willing to go anywhere and do anything, even be born in a barn. He's also demonstrated to us that he wants everyone to know common people like shepherds, not the aristocrats of anybody's society, but ordinary people, because this was the gospel for them. It was good news for them. As a note in your outline, this was a big deal. It should be a big deal to us. It's a big deal even to the angels in heaven. When the angel proclaimed the good news, the tidings of great joy that should be for all people, he was joined with the armies of heaven itself. And they said, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, about 35 years later, wrote these words. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter was writing about the fact that prophecies, like the prophecy that Micah wrote 700 years in advance, all the prophets had a glimpse of what would happen. One prophet would have this piece of the puzzle, another piece of the puzzle, but nobody had the whole box. And the angels understood what God was up to, and they understood how sinful we are, and they understood God's great love for his people, and he was willing to come down here. And so when the the angel came and announced this to the shepherds, it was as if the curtains of heaven were pulled back, and you could see all the angels in heaven that were surrounding them, and they proclaimed to the shepherds, these are great tidings of joy. I mean, the whole sky was filled with angelic beings. We can't see them on a day-to-day basis. They're invisible to us now, but they made themselves visible to the shepherds that night. And you can only wonder what it sounded like. Was it like an ocean? Was it a roar? Or was it the most amazing music you've ever heard? And the shepherds, I'm sure, were speechless. But the angels themselves had to see this thing happen. They knew how desperately sinful and rebellious and stubborn we are, and they marveled that the God of heaven would care so much for us. And the prophets had a piece of the puzzle, and the angels said, we got to see this thing. That's how awesome this news is. Well, there's a note for you here that the angel of the Lord brought good news. It was designed to bring great joy to all people. I bring you... Tidings, good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. That's why God chose a young girl and a carpenter. They were willing, ordinary people, willing to do what God wanted them to do. That's why God brought the good news to shepherds, ordinary people. He wants everyone to come to him. In fact, when Jesus began his public ministry and he called Matthew, the, the guy who wrote Matthew's gospel in the New Testament, He called a notorious sinner. Matthew was a tax collector with a reputation for being a thief, a swindler. And so people would have been stunned at that. What was even more surprising was that after Jesus called Matthew to come become one of his disciples, that Matthew had a big dinner for Jesus and the other disciples and invited all his friends. Well, all of Matthew's friends were swindlers and thieves just like he was. And so Matthew records for us what happened when Jesus showed up at the party. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to come to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, the experts in the Bible, if you will, the Old Testament, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? 
And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. If you've ever heard that God helps those who help themselves, that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Hesitations 5. I know exactly where it is, okay? It's not in there. God doesn't help those who help themselves. You know who God helps? People who need help. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And if you're here today and you're thinking, God can't love me. God can't forgive me. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've been away from him for far too long. He can never bring me home. Don't you dare give up hope. Don't you dare give up hope. Jesus came into the world to rescue sinners like you and me. He knew full well what the deal was before he ever came here. He signed up for this. And so the good news I want to proclaim to you this morning is, is that Jesus Christ loves us no matter who we are and no matter what we've done. This is good news for all people everywhere. Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul comments on this. He says, when he's talking about this good news, he said, this is the news that I'm most proud to proclaim. It's the extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who will trust in him. Everyone. If you have a cousin or a daughter or a brother or your dad, someone who's far away from God, don't you quit praying for them. And don't ever listen to the fact, oh, that person's too far gone. Mm-mm. God loves us all. And he'll forgive us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And that brings us to a life application also. The angels in heaven still rejoice when we repent and come to Jesus. The angels in heaven couldn't wait to see this thing unfold. They were eagerly excited about all this. There's a baby being born. God is going to become a baby. The God of heaven, the all-powerful being who made the universe, who made people, has now become one of them and allows a woman to hold him in her arms. Amazing. Amazing. And one of the things that the scripture uh, reminds us of over and over again is as the angels rejoiced about this at the plan as it was unfolding, that they rejoice again and again whenever the plan takes root in my heart and in yours. When our staff, when they repented and they came to Jesus and they met Jesus, on those days the angels in heaven rejoiced. I know that because Jesus was talking about this once, how God looks for us like lost sheep. He looks for us like a lost coin. that Someone swept their whole house just looking for a silver coin that was of great value and rejoiced when they found it. He said, And when he told that story, this is what Jesus said. He said, there's joy like that. There's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And what I mean by repent is simply this, just a U-turn, if you draw the U-turn sign in there. When a person turns around, he says, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to stop running my own life. I'm going to follow Jesus. And the angels rejoice all over again. They rejoiced when the plan was unfolding, and they rejoiced when the plan takes root inside of me and inside of you. And so again, if you're here this morning and you've been running from God, this would be a great day to turn around. If you were pouring money into a bad investment all through 2012 and you said, yeah, I'm just going to keep pouring more money into that hole, I tell you, you know, I would tell you, stop investing. If you've been running your life into the ground and going the wrong way, turn around, come to Jesus. 
He'll forgive you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. There's no problem he can't solve. He could use an emperor to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. There's nothing that he doesn't understand. You can't bring any problem in your life and go, God, you wouldn't understand. He understands us completely. So come to him and repent today. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 6. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And so if you've been holding a grudge, today would be a great day to let go. If you've been hanging on to a secret addiction and you know you need help, but you haven't been willing to tell anybody, ask God to help you. He'll give you the strength. If there is bitterness or fear or a ton of guilt in your heart about something that might have happened 10 years ago, give it to the Lord. Say, Jesus, would you help take this off my back? Come to him. and He'll make you new. Well, there's one more observation I want to make from Luke 2 here. And that's after the angels had told the shepherds what was going on in Bethlehem, how the shepherds responded. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. It's interesting when it says they hurried to the village. In some translations, it says they ran. My guess is they had plenty of adrenaline. How about you? <laughs> okay. Watching sheep at night, an angel appears, which scares you half to death. Then the whole sky is full of angels, and they're singing, and they all disappear. And one of them goes, we probably ought to go to Bethlehem and see what this is all about. Yeah, let's go. And they were running. I mean, what would you be waiting for? The Savior of the whole world is just over the hill. And you can picture these shepherds running and getting there as fast as they can. And there probably were a limited number of stables of places where there'd be a hay trough. And they finally find one. There's a baby lying there. And they go, that's him. I mean, can you imagine Joseph and Mary when they show up? I mean, here they are in a place they were told months before that the child that Mary would uh, give birth to would be the Son of God. And they're wondering, well, Lord, I mean, this is the Son of God. I mean, can't we do better than a barn? And all of a sudden, these shepherds show up, run to the door. There he is. Wait, you guys know about Jesus? Oh, yeah, an angel appeared to us. I mean, can you imagine how all this went down? Well, let's go see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph. There was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and the angel, that the angel had, what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart. She treasured them and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for they'd all, all that they'd heard and seen, for it was just as the angel had told them. And there's one more couple more applications I want to make to us here. First of all, it's important to note that the shepherds ran to meet Jesus. They told everyone the good news, and then they went back to work praising God. I mean, that's summarizing that paragraph. They ran to Jesus, told everybody the good news, and they went back to work praising God. So I'm going to stretch here and make a life application for you and me. This Christmas, God wants us to encounter Jesus, tell everyone we know the good news, and go back to work praising God. I know it's a stretch, but hang with me. What if we followed their example? And what if Christmas wasn't just about the next 48 hours? What if, Christ, uh, what if Christmas and the joy of Christmas 
of a Savior coming into the world would fill our hearts with joy all year long. I mean, all too often there's this tremendous buildup of time together with family and exchanging gifts and parties and good food. And it's Christmas Day and that's kind of fun and we watch some old movies and we unwrap a lot of presents and things. And then it's the 26th and then it's January and then we've got to pay for it all. And you go back to work and yeah, the holidays are over. But what if that wasn't the case this year? What if this year we said, Lord, I don't want Christmas to just be a holiday one day that's marked off in the calendar every year. I want this to be something that changes my life. When we did a series on Philippians a couple of months ago, we hit this verse pretty hard, but I want to bring it to your attention again. This is Philippians 1.11. Paul said, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus, by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. What Paul wanted is he wanted us to live with Christ in our hearts every day so the joy just overflowed. The joy just overflowed. I'm grateful for Christmas and time with family and friends, but I'm most grateful that Jesus now lives in my heart. He's forgiven my sins. He's promised to carry all my problems if I'll just bring them to him, and so I'm going to glorify and praise him even when I go back to work on the 26th or the 27th or after New Year's. And so I don't want us just to let Christmas go by this year without spending some time in prayer. And if you join me, I'd like for us just to pray. And if there's something we need to surrender to God, that we'd surrender it. That we'd thank God for sending his son into the world. And that we'd ask God to shine out through our hearts all year long, not just one or two days a year. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for Christmas time, and I thank you that I can spend time with my family. And with friends at Christmas. I love it. I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to meet together and encourage each other. But, Lord, I don't want this to be just a a one-stop day where I'm happy for a few hours. Lord, I want your joy to radiate out of my life all year. In just a moment of silence right now, if you have not yet told the Lord today that you love him, you just do so. So, Lord, I love you. I'm grateful that you came into the world to save sinners like me. If there's an area in your life where you're in rebellion against God or you have something against someone else and you know it's wrong and it needs to change in your life, would you surrender that right now and say, Lord, I'm not going to fight against you. I want you to fix what's broken in my life. I want you to change what's wrong in my life. And so, Lord, I confess and I repent. If you'll show me what to do, I'll turn around and go the right way. And finally, would you pray for one other person right now who could use this good news in their life? They're going the wrong way fast. And they need Jesus, and they need to turn around. This is good news for them, too. Would you pray that God would touch their hearts? Maybe for a cousin or a co-worker maybe for a child. Would you pray for someone who's going the wrong way? And say, God, would you please turn them around? And Lord, if you allow me to be a bearer of good news and I want to be the bearer of good news like the angels were to the shepherds, Lord, I want to tell them, just just give me the right words to say. Well, Lord, I thank you for Christmas and we can celebrate the birth of Jesus. I thank you that Jesus came into our world. 
He became one of us. I thank you, Lord, that there's no problem you cannot handle, and there's nothing in my life that you cannot understand. And so, Father, we come before you today, and we give you praise and glory, and we tell you thank you for coming into our world. It's in the name of Christ that I pray these things. Amen.